Okay, okay, and welcome, welcome back to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. And am I so excited? Yes, I am. Why am I excited? I'm excited because I get to introduce to you all a a wonderful new person that I met through another person. We'll talk all about that. But um, we have a wonderful, fantabulous, passionate, exuberant, all the adjectives guest today by the name of Gabby, Gabby Ariaga. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. And I will let Gabby introduce herself. So Gabby, who are you? Thank you, Karis. First off, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I am truly blessed to be uh, just in this space with you. So I truly appreciate that. Um, I am a mom of two beautiful children, Selena and Benjamin. And I am married to the most amazing man, Luis, who um, actually is truly an inspiration for a lot of my work um, that I want to do soon here. I am by trade a social worker. More than that, I am an advocate for kids. I am their champion. I'm a healer. I am kids' safety place. I'm their cheerleader. I'm the one who holds the pain for them so they can breathe more easily. I'm the one who shows them the mirror when all they see is unworthiness. I am all those things. So I truly value what I do. And um, I try to make myself that one person that, that these kids can go to whenever they need to. Um, That one person that they trust, that one person that has just been a positive support for them. Wow. Wow. So now y'all see why I wanted to speak with her because that all came through when I I met you and I met you over the summer through a a good friend of mine. I was going to say he's a colleague, but okay. He's my little brother from a different mother and father. (laughs) And that is uh, Dr. Jorge Partida, who has been on the podcast before and, um, you know, that heartfelt passion for the people comes through, must be something in your family because it comes through him and it comes <laughs> through you as well. And so just in our, in our, you know, being together for the little time we were together, um, I was just so moved about your desire and your passions to work with kids, especially kids who have been multiply impacted by all sorts of stuff. So can you talk a little bit about that area in particular? Yeah, so um, I first began my practice as a clinical therapist. And so part of my role was to take on referrals from youth that were um, on intensive probation. They were mandated to be in therapy. If not, you know, their next path would be um, incarceration, right? They had one last chance. That is where I met many of the youth who, who were in gangs. I have been trained in in trauma and trauma practices, but I always felt like something was missing in the typical Western therapy uh, model. Uh, It didn't really fit these kind of kids. I've always been natural. I've never wanted to to pretend to be something I'm not. I I wear my feelings on my sleeve and I, I, I show up into sessions and they can see me as a human being, not just as a therapist, but as a a person with lived experience, a person who can relate to them culturally, but I also speak their their language. And so actually this is why this speaking to you uh, eloquently and things like that is difficult for me because I'm constantly speaking to kids in slang terms. 
And um, oh, girl, bring on the slang! Bring on the <laughs> slang! We can, we we do it all here. This is not a. This is we. This is all about authenticity. So so even if uh, Gabby, you say things in Spanish, which I have mm-hmm. had other guests do, do do it in whatever way is most comfortable for you. For our Spanish speakers, they will get it. For those of us who don't speak Spanish, well, we get to be in the shoes of people who don't understand English and we're speaking English all the time. So yeah, be comfortable, man. Do you yeah. seriously? <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate that. I've noticed that I've been a- able to connect with these kids when I drop a, an F-bomb here or there and their eyes just light up like, oh, she swore, you know, mm-hmm. but I I was seeing these, these kids uh, as a therapist. I was seeing them in their homes and the community at McDonald's, you know, wherever, wherever I could um, hold a session weekly, I would have supervision meetings with my boss. And um, this one day I came with a story and um, I asked her to to kind of start it off and break the ice. I said, hey, Gail, um, what do you think about purchasing a bulletproof vest for me? And she looks, (laughs) she looks at me and she's like, Gabby, what? And um, I told her that I began to tell her the story of one of my kids who um, we ended up having our session walking around his neighborhood because his house was so full of just different things. Uh, I think his parent had a problem with hoarding. And so we went into the community, you know, to to have our session and a couple houses down. There's a person in the porch, a male who is staring in our direction. And so he's staring kind of a little too long. And I asked the kid, I said, hey, do you know him? And he's like, no, miss, but don't worry. I'll protect you. I'm always packing. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) You have a gun on you now? Like, what? (laughs) Um, And so telling her that story, she began to be very concerned for me. And although she knew that I can handle the youth, she started to fear me seeing these kids in the community, which I never, honestly, I never really feared that. I I have a, a sense of faith that God has put me in this place, this calling to 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 work with like his most vulnerable children. And I don't take that lightly. And I really try to be um, that that physical embodiment of what of what God has called us to be and to like love other people and to respect others and to lend out a hand when when you have one. Right. And to just help people. I also got that from my parents. I, I come from two amazing uh, Mexican immigrant parents who uh, instilled these values in my siblings and I, you know, of, of being humble, but just always helping, always helping, always giving. That's just the type of people they are. Even when we didn't have much to give, they were always giving. And so mm-hmm. I just uh, fell into this field of social work naturally. I didn't try too hard and... You know, I wasn't good in math. I wasn't good in science. It just seemed like I had a like a phrase on my forehead that said, come tell me all your problems. I will hear you out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, people just naturally came to me. I I feel like um, because of my authenticity and and just being genuine, you know, people have been able to to come talk to me. And um, I also am a person who uh, I've always been very curious. Uh, my brother would say I was nosy and a chismosa, but it developed into uh, being a chismosa for the right reasons because I want to help you, them out and I want to be able to provide the resources and connect them to things that that they are lacking. Yeah, that's really when you when you were talking about you know asking for a uh, a bulletproof vest. 
it reminds me of when I'm in my community, you know, where I, where I live here, but I'm out and about and I'm interacting with our community members who are unhoused. And, and I call those our neighbors. And, you know, I, I know them by name. One day I walk by and the young woman, you know, really she was a teenager, was out sweeping and, and picking up the trash and putting the trash in the trash bag. And I knew there were three other young men with her. And I was kind of looking around for the three other young men and they were in the tent just lounging, like in the in the tent that they had set up. And um, I asked her, I said, yo, what's, what's, with, what's with you doing the quote unquote housework and the three dudes in the tent? And she said, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to keep our space clean. And so I said, you know, I really appreciate that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Why are the three dudes in the tent? And I looked and I said, guys, get out here and help her. <laughs> right? And I know people were walking by going, she is going to get killed. They're going to beat her up, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And the right. guys were like, yeah, we probably should help. And I said, yeah, you should. And I'll help you too. So all of us were like sweeping and picking up the trash and things like that. And I was asking them, um, you know, why had they chosen this space to live? And, you know, not not trying to be demeaning about it at all, but just trying to understand why. And, you know, they gave me their reasons why. And um, I literally couldn't argue against them. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I don't know what to say to that. And I said, well, right. if you ever need this, that, or the other, this, this is, I'm sure you all know where these things are, but if you don't, you know, this is where it ought. And then I introduced myself and then they introduced themselves and they said, yeah, and everybody, if anybody tries to like do any shit to you, we got you covered. And I was <laughs> like, thank you so much. I don't know what that means, but yeah. I don't know what it means. But, but what it means is that we're protected. You know, and I, I know you saw them. People yeah. ignore them. You know, yeah. you saw them. People just yeah. want to be seen. They want to be heard. Yeah. So when you when you are, are working with young people, what are some of the, the reasons you think that um, kids end up in things like gangs or, or have those kind of, uh, yeah, interactions? Or I don't want to call it a lifestyle because I don't think it's a lifestyle. I think there are other things mm -hmm. at hand that have pushed kids um, into. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's different uh, factors here, but um, one of the one of the main factors I see is the adverse childhood experiences. So different traumatic events that have really pushed them out of their house. You know, uh, kids don't join gangs to seek anything. Mainly, you know, they're they're trying to escape their their home environment. They're trying to find a sense of belonging because they don't feel that they belong in their own families it's a generational cycle of poverty and violence and trauma until somebody decides to break that cycle and get help or get support. And so that's what that's what I've seen with these kids. It's that they're just really looking to be loved. They're looking to, to have somebody to, that cares about them. And when I've asked them, you know, what are your three three wishes that you could have? It is always it always comes down to I wish my mother loved me. I wish mm -hmm. my father never left always comes down to that 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 love and that connection it, it all falls on the relationship mm -hmm. and so that's so simple because when you're when you're trying to train staff you're trying to train um, educators or just other people uh, on how to work with children in general you know they're the constant question of like just give me a strategy give me a strategy, give me, give me a tool something that I can do something quick that I can engage with them and it's like people the the strategy is, you got to care. <laughs> like you actually have to just be genuine and care about 
these kids in front of you. Teachers are no longer just teachers. You know, they have to see the whole person. You have, you, you, unfortunately, it is what it is. You're, you're a nurse because kids will ask you for Band-Aids. You're a therapist because they want to tell you their problems and what happened in the morning or in their day. Like, they, they are no longer just teachers. And, you know, I feel for them. It is a very, very hard job. But, um, you know, it's, it's also a, a source of pride and it's a source of, like, uh, fulfillment to, to be able to, to be that person for these kids mm-hmm. to finally show them something different. And to mm-hmm. show them that that they that they do matter and that they are cared for, at least in school, right? And school can be their second home or home away from home if they don't even have that. Yeah, yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, I you know I think teaching has always been about the whole child and caring for the whole child. I, I don't know when um, in our universe that has changed, but I, I think and maybe because there are more regulations or there are more kids or there are most more social. Um, issues that um, kids are bringing into schools with them, and maybe teachers are impacted by in their own lives, that it becomes harder and harder to individualize that love and care for each child. I think teachers do it. I think they do their best. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's a tough job. Yeah, no, I they definitely do. Uh, honestly, I think it's more of um, the, the, the systems that are already just in place that do not support the teachers. You know, one teacher for 30 something kids, it's kind of, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The classrooms are overcrowded. How can they connect and teach what they have to teach and with 34 kids in a span of 53 minutes, Yeah, you know, or sometimes less? Um, it is very difficult, very difficult, but we have to start somewhere. And I think it just starts with, with kindness and, and remembering that, that these kids are, are carrying some heavy, heavy, heavy luggage of, of a variety of factors, homelessness and poverty and violence and just the traumatic experiences. The trauma is, is, is huge. And I think people have uh, overused that term lately. Um, they tend to, to use that term quite often. So for, for listeners, I want them to know that it's it's really the, these kids have PTSD symptoms like they have symptoms that our veterans coming back from war have, you know, the flashbacks, the nightmares, the anxiety, the lack of sleep, the, you know, changes in appetite. They have all of that. Mm-hmm. And I can see it. I visibly see it. I notice students who are like, in a very crowded hallway trying to just like hide in their turtle shell and not be seen. Right. Or or kids who put their hair in front of their face to avoid being seen during the pandemic, the masks made it really helpful for kids because they were able to um, hide behind that. Even after masks were removed, you still saw kids wearing the masks, you know, mm-hmm. and so they tend to hide behind that. Kids wear hoodies for a sense of comfort. Uh, it's another mechanism they use to to not be seen, to be hidden, or mm-hmm. to hide even, you know, maybe physical marks that that they don't want others to see. Um, mm-hmm. There, there's so many reasons, and uh, I just I'm the type of person that takes the time to find out why the behavior is occurring because all behavior is communication. Yeah. Many people are just very quick to to judge and very quick to just expect certain things that or expect perfection out of kids that, you know, is not attainable. Yeah. It's yeah. not attainable. None of us are perfect. So why do we expect children to be when their brains are not even done developing yet? Right. Like yeah. and then 
then you add trauma to the mix. And so that also affects the, the way that their brains function. And people need to remember that people need to be trained in that. There needs to be a lot more training and educating if, if um, they're just not getting it. Wow. Wow. And I don't, you know, we, we didn't talk about this in particular, but how do we also, the, the child exists within um, some kind of structure, whether it be a family of choice, family of birth, community. I, I, don't, I don't really quite know the words, especially for kids who may be under other kind of systems of not just care, but also, you know, where they're, they're living. Or how do we think about supporting the quote unquote family? I'm just going to call it family because I don't, and I'm putting it in air quotes. How do we support them if the family is struggling and then that becomes part of the uh, continuation of the trauma for the kid? Where does supporting that family come in so that the cycle can stop? That's a loaded question. It really mm-hmm. is that I, you know, I, I don't have all the answers to that, but it, it starts with awareness. I think um, we have to create the awareness first that that these uh, experiences have affected all of us. They affect all of us in the community. They affect our homes, our families, our schools, all the systems. Um, when when the statistics say that one in three girls have will be sexually abused before they reach 18, and one in five boys before they reach 18 would be sexually abused, that is just, it is alarming, it is sickening. And I see it, I see it firsthand. When, when I get a student in my office, I take the time to get to know them fully. Um, I do a, a genogram, which is my quickest way to get as much information as I can the first time I'm meeting a student so that I am able to see the whole picture as quickly as I can because I'm servicing so many children. And because I build such great relationships, my office is constantly busy. I have to tell kids, hold on one sec, I got to go pee. Hold on a sec. Can I eat in front of you? And that's just the nature of, of the work. And I I don't complain about that because I honestly I'd rather sit with a kid having lunch and just continue to to serve. That's that's my role there. That's it's for me, it's really not just the job. And I think that that's the difference is um, mm. some some people do this work, you know, to to put food on the table and um, because they went to school for it and whatnot. This was my calling. I, I know that that God put me in this place like there's nothing else I could do. I've thought mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> I've thought about stepping <laughs> yeah. away. I've thought about like, oh, I, I have some retail experience, but no, I don't want to go back to that. It's like, mm-hmm. I think that honestly, I, I am humble, but I, I'm really, really good at what I do. Mm-hmm. I am excellent at getting these kids to trust me and to open up. And they mm-hmm. do it with the first time they meet me. Mm-hmm. And it's because I, I am genuine. They see it. and But I've created the space. If you come into my office, you, it'll look like a, a Latin American museum almost. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have different signage and different things like, mi casa es tu casa. You belong here. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Um, Black Lives Matter, you know, different things that um, I have my LGBTQ flag, I have my Mexican flag, and then I have a bunch of boxing gloves of all different types of uh, Latin American countries, because that's the population I'm serving. Mm -hmm. And so just being in my space, I think allows them already to feel comfortable. Yeah, Uh, it 
feels homey. I, I don't have a desk or a barrier between me and the child because I, I even believe that having a physical space, an open physical space is so important. You know, they, they can, I can run to them quickly if they're in danger to themselves. I can run quickly out of the office if I need to. But for me, it's just that, that openness, the yeah. I'm here, I'm with you and I'm going to walk in this pain with you. I'm going to hold that pain for you until you can, you can find that hope and um, until you can see that you deserve to be loved and respected. Yeah. Yeah. That is so, so, so powerful. And um, you know, could there's a tool if people really want a quick tool, change what your office looks like, please. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, And um, it's so funny, people used to make, make fun of me when I worked in college admissions and they would come in my office and I would have um all sorts of games and puzzles and um but but because we had to interview kids i thought uh, young people well kids yeah they're kids you know 15 16 sometimes 14 would be as young as 14 and i would not wear a suit ever everybody like that was one of everybody in the office would wear suits um or or very professional type clothing and i just refused to do it because at the end of the day i felt like i need to be at the level of the person that I'm talking to so that they'll open up with me during this time so we can discover like what are their interests, passions, why this particular school, and for some of them, why they were there, which was not why they wanted to be there. It was why their parents wanted them to be there. Mm -hmm. So we could pair it through. What does this mean? And how do we want to move forward? And really what is of interest to you? So, um, and they would, they would, you know, play with the game. Like this was before fidget toys. So I think my toys were fidget toys. <laughs> the, uh -huh. We didn't have that term then. They would fidget with the toys. They would play with the toys. Sometimes we would play a game while we were talking. And I did um, actually have the highest rating for, um, interviewing um, students who would turn into applicants and, and many of them would end up becoming, you know, coming to the school. Others would not, which was fine because really sometimes not the point, but at the end of the day, it was because I created this safe place for mm -hmm. applicants to, to just talk about what they for wanted sure. their futures to look like. And yeah. so you had said at the top too, something about social work and sort of the Western way of doing things. Um, and again, not not to throw down on the social workers, <laughs> but kind of when when we, let's just talk about like the Western way of doing things versus other ways of doing things. Like what what, is, what are some of the differences, do you think? I honestly am in the early stages of um, really getting into other modalities or other ways of providing genuine treatment uh, for people of color. Uh, I know that Jorge, you know, um, speaks a lot about curanderismo. Um, I actually would like to study something like that. Uh, I've always felt that in my soul that like, as you know, reading the textbooks and things, I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. Like something's missing. Um, and I think that it's real deep. It's much deeper than that is we carry um, our ancestors trauma, but we also carry all their strength and wisdom. Um, and he talked, Jorge talks a lot about that in a lot of his books of, um, of, of belonging to something greater than ourselves, greater than just our, our um, home environment. And honestly, just that, that mentality or that phrase I've been using kind of recently with some of my students who 
you know, talk about not having the parent figures they would like or, or just, um, you know, parents who are abusing substances, parents who are mentally ill or just not present, right? Just just not the parents that these kids would have hoped for. And so really when we talk about hope, it's, it's um, talking about this idea that, you know, although you were birthed to these two people, you belong to a much greater Mm. Uh, group of people. You belong to these ancestors who who died for you, who fought for you, who, you know, still carry you through, you know, and, and perhaps that's why you're still standing here today. Because how mm. can you go through all this abuse and neglect, physical, sexual, you know, what have you, and I'm speaking kind of in general terms of all the things that kids tell me, how can they go through all that and still stand there today and still try? People complain that, you know, they're in the hallways and that they don't go to class consistently or that they're tardy. But Jesus, the things these kids have had to endure. It's mm -hmm. like, I don't know how I would do it if that yeah. happened to me. Yeah. I, I have no idea. And so I don't even come close to judging how they're doing it. The fact that you're just in the school building to me is mm -hmm. a, a win, right? Mm -hmm. Because yes. you could just be on the street. You could be like many of, of my kids who whose school has also re-traumatized them or failed them and has pushed them out. I don't believe in dropouts. I, I, I don't believe in that term. I think that the system has pushed them out eventually yeah. because yeah. they could have noticed, they could have seen things starting since elementary. You mm -hmm. know, they could have, they could have noticed things because most kids who, who, who begin to, to join gangs kind of starts around 11, 12 years old. And so if you think about that, it's like, what could these kids have possibly faced in their in their lifetime at just 11, 12 years old that they felt the need to have to go find a family at that age on the street? Yep. Yep. And thank you for talking about the difference of dropout versus pushed out. Dropout puts it on the individual. Pushed out puts it on the systems and, and other places that have just woefully failed our kids. So I'm going to ask you one, I'm going to ask you two questions. One, one is about if you could close your eyes and dream up like how, how you would want to work or how you would want to see how you're working with kids in, in community, like what, what, what would you, what would you dream of? Well, how do you see that? I'm actually really trying to, to start my own nonprofit uh, organization for youth involved in gangs or, or youth who are toying with the idea to join a gang. And so I envision that what I want to create would, would look like Homeboy Industries out of L.A. County. It is the world's largest gang in program, um, the most successful in the world. Um, they have served billions of gang members, and they believe in providing jobs uh, as opposed to incarcerating. They primarily work with adults, and so uh, I'd like to take their idea and find a way to, to do that for youth. There are many youth who want to help their families, you know, um, and, and they're not at the age to begin to work. You know, in Illinois, the, the age of to work is 15 with a work permit. Um, like I said, if kids are joining gangs at 11, 12 years old, trying to, you know, sell drugs to make money or what have you, then we need to be able to provide some way for these children to get stipends or internships or something that they could have some money in their pocket. 
if they're raising themselves, if they're, uh, if they're lacking resources, I want to be able to create what the gang life offers in obviously a, uh, in, in a better space and in a space where they're going to be truly loved and respected, where they're going to be able to take care of themselves financially, uh, some job training. So that's kind of how I, I envision my, my future work looking like. And honestly, so I, I thought about this just last year, you know, the whole year that I was working at, at, at this one school, the, the building had not been tagged by gang graffiti for the entire year. I have this idea one day, three days later, there is a huge graffiti, <laughs> there's huge graffiti on this wall that I drive past every day that obviously was extremely noticeable to me. And literally I looked up to the sky and I'm like, God, you really want me to do this, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the biggest sign you could put on me because I just had this idea. It was just a thought, like maybe I should kind of venture out and do my own thing and something that I'm, I've always been passionate about. Maybe this is the right time. And like I said, three days later, big, big old gang graffiti. Mm. I then took the trip this past summer to visit um, Homeboy Industries, um, to visit Jorge. And uh, that's when I met you, Karis. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've grown up in a um, Catholic family with, with um, you know, having going to church, going to Catholic school. Uh, I no longer practice, but um, I have never felt God more than I did walking into Homeboy Industries where there were a bunch of former criminals, convicts, right? Murderers, probably people tatted up and they were the most welcoming folk I have ever met. They, people were outside. Like what they do is they hold this like morning meeting every single day before they begin their jobs or begin, before they go um, to their different placements, because Homeboy is so large, they have different job training programs. So they hold this meeting and everybody comes together and it's just a group of people and one of the homies or, or one, of the, one of the workers will just um, kind of give like a food for thought or just, just good vibes, good energy, a statement of some sort. It's not a prayer. It's more of just like either an experience, a quote, something that they, they just, you know, to come together every single morning to do. I was shaken up. I had um, like I I was drawn to tears. I was like, I could not believe that this space like you felt God there. His presence was there. And I was not in a church. I was not in, you know, this very religious um, venue. Uh, I I couldn't believe it. It was amazing to me. And it just fueled me more, fueled my energy. Like, yes, this is what I want. I know that this can be done here because honestly, in where, where I live now, we don't really have a resource like that for kids. They, they kind of just put it back on the schools and, and we, we try to help as much as possible or we link them up to therapy. But, you know, what gang member is going to really sit and be like, oh, yeah, I'll take some therapy, miss, uh, you know, like exactly, exactly. Not, it doesn't work that way. And um, I, I want to have a space where these kids will have the job training, be in community with one another, be able to work with one another and do it more in a, in a group therapy model as opposed to the individual, because mm-hmm. culturally, you know, with black and brown people like we have always been a community of people. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. we've always believed in the in it takes a village to mm-hmm. raise the 
these kids. And so I, I really don't believe in individual therapy anymore. Like it, it has to be more group work and um, family work, mm-hmm. a lot of family work, because as much as you can work with the individual and, and you're trying to change their, their thought pattern and you're trying to change this and that, and they can, you know, have growth and they can be successful. But if the home unit doesn't change, they they keep going back to that environment. Yeah. So what are you what are you actually solving there? It yeah. has to be a whole team effort. It has to be the entire family unit. And so yeah. you know, long story short, that's that's what I would like to do. I'm looking for investors. Anybody out there? <laughs> if, if go for it, girl. Go for it. Homeboy yeah. Industries would just like to help me out. Uh, I know that they do have a homeboy network, um, so I got to reach out to them. But I actually had paused on my on my and my idea because my husband coincidentally just wanted to start his construction business out of nowhere. And I'm like, okay, Luis, like, <laughs> why yeah. don't we just do two businesses at once? That's such a great idea. Not. Um, so I'm like, you know what, you would be able to have a lot more kind of quicker success because he's the, he's the handyman of the house. He's the one that can do all these things. He can build me a home. And so we thought that, you know, we'll start with him first. And so I paused my idea and I paused everything that I was going to do, even though I had already envisioned the space and this building that I wanted. So when I decided to pause again, like a couple weeks later, the building I want goes up for sale. Mm. And again, my god why are you putting these signs like Mm -hmm. in my face right like it just keeps motivating me that that i really should start doing this that it it is a need it is definitely a need and if there's anybody that can do it 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 has to be me like it's it's me i have the passion i have the drive i have the commitment i love these kids i've had success with these kids if I could reach out to all the students I have been in contact with throughout these 12 years of doing this work, I would have countless stories and countless people who will testify that I have helped them in some way that will just testify that I was that one person, that one person that showed them hope, that one person that made them just feel differently. Right. They may not remember what I said to them, but everybody remembers how they felt with me. Right, right. And it just takes that one person and it takes speaking your your dream into the world, which you just did now and, and you've done it before, which I think when you when you speak it out into the world, it, it will happen, right? And you're so right about homeboy industries. I mean, you go in there and there's just something I always use the word palpable, but it's not palpable. Like you walk in and I get it's chicken skin. That's not what people say. What is it? Goosebumps. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't goosebumps. Know. Yeah. You get the goose. Like you just my walk in and it's like goosebumps. Skin of a chicken. Yeah, yeah. yeah chicken skin. Skin yeah. You you get that immediately <laughs> when you walk in. And you might not even know why you why why nothing's even happened yet. You just walk in and that happens. And there's such mm-hmm. an energy there that is um, you know, when I was running a, a peer-run organization or people it's not really when I was running a peer in an organization that, that this kind of came up, but I always, you know, was thinking at that time that when people think about mental health or helping people with mental health conditions, they think of something serene and soft and quiet. And, and I'm like bright colors and energy and just happiness and lots of sunflowers. And, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, people are like, no, we need spa colors and, you know, we need to whisper <laughs> You know, and um, you go into homeboys and it's kind of like, yes, that's loud. It's loud. It's loud. It's active. 
people are, you know, kids are in there, families are in there, Mm -hmm. you know, um, men with their baby strollers and the babies. I mean, it's just. And they come as they are. Yeah. They come as they are. They're not even in uniform. They're not dressed up uh, like with suits or anything. They come as they are. And that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. The fact that like you're only hiring people who have records, like you're the you're the place that p- these people can go to when everybody else shuts their door, right? Like yeah. these are the outcasts of the world. And I'm I'm tired of seeing that. I'm tired of uh, the school to prison pipeline. I'm tired yeah. of these kids being like thrown away as if they have no importance or value. Like yeah. I'm, I'm at that point where I'm just exhausted seeing it and I have to try to do something about it if I can. Wonderful, wonderful. So thank you for sharing your your dream with us and and y'all heard her. I'm looking for investors, girl. Don't don't speak <laughs> about it. Scream it out there if you want investors. You can say it. People, I you know I I, I tell people I don't I don't endorse or sell anything. That that's not the, the purpose of the podcast. But but certainly you know if people you know have written a book or or, or need something use the platform to say what it is you need. That's fine. I appreciate that. I'm even saying she says she needs it. So y'all just reach out. So anyway, <laughs> um, so we're going to wrap up and and um, you've dropped tons and tons of great information and wisdom. And I do this with all of our, with all of the, the guests um, as a way to kind of leave the listeners with all the information that people drop, like what's that, what's that one last thing that you want people to know or do or think about? So for you, Gabby, what, what's your wisdom dropping? What's that one last thing? So I'm not sure who I'm quoting when I say this. Um, I tried to look it up because it popped up on uh, a Facebook memory that I had uh, wrote a while ago. Um, I didn't quote them then and I didn't quote them now. So I have no idea where this came from, but <laughs> Life is not about laws and legalism. It is about love, forgiveness, compassion, and mercy. And I want people to remember to start seeing behavior as another language. It is communication. Beneath every behavior is a feeling. Beneath every feeling, there's a need. And when we meet that need, rather than focus on the behavior, that's when we're dealing with the cause and not the symptom. Not. Clap, thumbs up. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those words. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for joining me um, on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Thank you so much, Karis. Truly appreciate you. Sure thing. All right, people, y'all know what to do now beyond um, investing in a Gabby's dream. We're going to call it Gabby's dream. (laughs) (laughs) Beyond investing in Gabby's dream, uh, my my producer, of course, would say uh, you're supposed to like, subscribe and comment. But as you all know, the most important thing is to share the podcast episode. There are going to be people who need to hear this information, need to hear this wisdom. And um, I think that's the biggest thing that uh, I could ask our listeners to do is to share the podcast episode and to listen in next week to Unapologetically Black Unicorns.